Welcome to episode 72 of Telepractice Today with Kim Dutro-Allen and Dr. Todd Houston. Hello and welcome back to another episode. Um, I always like to give our tips from things that are going on in my work, uh, with telepractice. And that's where most of them usually come from. So I was trying to think of the one for this week. And I was thinking about this time of year is really difficult because we're getting all of our services set up and the school year going and everything just isn't as fine tuned as it will be by the time we get to the middle of the school year hopefully. So, um, in thinking about that, one of the things that I think you have to have as a telepractitioner is a good ability to communicate, um, via email and phone calls and things like that, and not in person with people. So thinking about that, one of the things that I've been working on and that has helped me and, um, that I've appreciated is showing gratitude to those that we're working with. I know that we've had even a couple, um, of interviewees when we've said, if we could make one law, that question that Todd likes to ask, um, they've said, be kind. And so I'm trying to do that and trying to show gratitude and, you know, just throwing in things like when I make a request, throwing in a thanks for all that you're doing. Uh, thanks for all that you're helping me with. And I know that I've worked with several different districts and that that's made a difference to me too, when I feel that coming from other people. Um, and those are the districts I wanted to go back to or the ones that uh, showed that they appreciated the work that I was doing. So I just wanted to throw that out there to make sure that um, when you're communicating with those others, especially over email when they can't hear the tone of your voice and things like that, that you're uh, sharing how grateful you are for the things they're doing and just make sure you let them know that they're being helpful and helping you. Um, I hope that helps somebody. And I actually was not able to join Todd this week um, because I had an IEP meeting. So uh, Todd, why don't you let us know who our interview was with and introduce them? Thanks. Kim, I certainly agree. Showing others how grateful you are for all the work that they're doing is really important and just could not agree more with what you're saying. And through the magic of technology, yes, you weren't able to join me on this episode of the podcast, but we did have a great interview with Ari Theotokos. She is doing some really great work in New York City, and um, I think you're going to love her. So here's the interview with Ari. Hi, it's Todd Houston. I just wanted to reach out to you, our really talented, wonderful listeners that we have, and just ask you if you want to join us. Yes. Would you like to be a content creator for the 3C Digital Media Network? We need you. We need content creators to come and join us. So if you have a blog, a webinar, a course, or maybe even a podcast that you'd like to do, we would love to speak with you. 
So please, if you have some ideas, email me at Todd, T-O-D-D, at 3cdigitalmedianetwork.com, and I'll reach out, and we can have a conversation. And so hopefully we could have you develop whatever you'd like to develop and work with us. Again, Todd at 3cdigitalmedianetwork.com, and I will be in touch. Now, back to the interview. Ari, welcome to the podcast. Uh, can you give us a little more background about yourself? Sure. First, thanks for having me. I'm really excited to be here. Um, I'm a bilingual speech language pathologist. I graduated from Long Island University with my master's in communication science and sorry, my bachelor's of science in communication science and disorders, and also my bachelor's in psychology. And then I went to Adelphi University. Both universities were in New York. Um, At Adelphi, I got my master's of science in speech language pathology, my bilingual extension in Greek and English, and my teachers of students with speech and language disabilities certificate, which is the TSSLD that we have in New York to work in schools. Um, since then, I've been doing a lot. I've worked with children in special education schools. I've worked in public schools and charter schools. I've done early intervention with babies from zero to three years old and also the preschool ages. And um, I mostly do language therapy, but I have had articulation therapy, social groups, um, What I think on Instagram I'm most known for is my feeding sessions. Um, Mm -hmm. I post a lot about that. I do feeding therapy. And um, currently, the majority of my caseload is actually evaluations. But I also continue to do therapy and work with my students and my babies. (laughs) So a lot going on. You've been doing, you've had lots of different experiences. So I wanted to just ask you about your bilingual. Do you have an opportunity to, to use Greek with patients? So not as big of an opportunity as with some other languages in New York, but I have definitely had some clients that have only Greek therapy. So I'll be doing therapy with them. Yeah. Only in Greek um, or in both dual languages. Um, With the bilingual extension, I am able to evaluate students that speak other languages if there's an interpreter present. So that's where the big bulk of my evaluations are. Um, I do have some monolingual evaluations as well, but as far as those, I get a lot of the bilinguals with an interpreter, and that way we're able to get a whole holistic view on the student and their language skills. That's awesome. And so let's let's talk about your telepractice journey. How how did that start? Um, actually, I started a little bit before COVID and Good. everything that happens with that. Um, The year before I was doing therapy with a student and she was between homes and it was difficult to sometimes meet consistently at school with her. So after asking, you know, the higher ups and making sure it was okay, they did confirm doing teletherapy sessions with her just to limit the amount of absences that were happening. Um, So I started with that one student. So then when COVID came and everyone shifted into remote learning, 
I felt like mm-hmm. I kind of already had my foot in the door, whereas in New York, that wasn't a common practice prior to COVID. Mm-hmm. So I feel a little bit, I guess I would say lucky in that sense that I was a little bit more prepared. I had some things in my back pocket ready to use for when I my full caseload went remote. So let's talk about the that back pocket and some of those things. So so uh, it was good that you had some experience prior to being forced into it like everyone else, you know, suddenly you know, dealing with COVID. Um, so what did you what did you pull out of that back pocket to help the transition? Um, probably the biggest one, the biggest tool that I learned or the biggest trick is to use the distractors. So for example, one of my students, I noticed we would have session and he would be very distracted by things on the desk. And mom would come in and say, I'm sorry, you know, we don't have a lot of space. So everything is just kind of here. And it's the only Mm -hmm. space that we can have him hang out in during your sessions. And I said, no problem. What's there? What is he like grabbing all the time? I want to see, you know, show me. And it was usually markers. So I was like, great. I have markers too. Let's do it. So Mm -hmm. we actually worked on a lot of language skills while drawing. So he would draw something and describe it to me. And I would have to guess what it is. And then it would be my turn. And I would draw Mm -hmm. something and describe it to him. And then we worked on sequencing. Uh, Sorry, inferencing. (laughs) And sentence expanding. And the sequencing part came in when we would draw stories and scenes. Mm -hmm. Um, So I was able to use things that maybe would have been distracting. And instead of stressing out, you know, the mother and being like, put him somewhere else. (laughs) Let's use it. He's into it. It's on his desk. Let's try it out. Um, same thing with, with clothing. I mean, one day another child showed up with a hat and I was like, Hey, I have a hat too. And so simple things that normally wouldn't be discussed in therapy allowed a lot of language opportunities in a different way. Um, and we were able to talk about almost more naturalistic things Mm -hmm. because these are items that are in their home that they are using every day. Um, that I might have not spoken about in school because I don't know if my child has a fedora at home, right? <laughs> right, right. Um, so it allowed for more, I guess, I don't want to say practical language, but language that the parents could see, okay, now I see what she's doing with the stuff that I have and I'm able to carry that over. Right. So that was one of my big takeaways from all of the telepractice. And, you know, it's interesting because of telepractice, we had had to deliver I mean, because of COVID, we had to deliver services that way. But it's you know, I find it interesting that we'd almost do better therapy because, like you're saying, right? We wouldn't have talked about a hat, you know, right. if the child would have been in school or been you know able to come into therapy. But in that situation, it was natural. It was probably much more functional, and right. and, and and probably yeah yeah. It's probably better carryover with with all of that. Right. It was motivating, um, you know, the parents or the families that were home, because sometimes it wasn't their parents. It was another caregiver, a sibling. Um, They were able to either sit in the same room or in a room next door and kind of listen in. And I told all my parents, I'm very comfortable if you want to join us and you can do Mm -hmm. therapy with us. Again, if it was allowed, depending on which agency Mm -hmm. in school it was for. Um, but I'm very comfortable if you want to join us, if you want to kind of pretend to be doing something else, but mm-hmm. listen in, because I know some of my students didn't want their parents to be in the media right. area. 
Um, but yeah, it was motivating for them. And then you would see these students and they would tell me, oh my gosh, can I now show you this? Can I show you this? And I, you know, there were moments where I just sat back and I was like, okay, we have so much language here that, you know, I'm sitting here with my like boom cards or my, you know, super duper flash cards that I, I still love and I still use, but it was sometimes, um, it was really nice to see the students kind of get excited show me all their stuff and participate more than just, you know, turn taking or playing a board game, which we still did, (laughs) but it was nice to have them kind of take the lead and get excited about it. Right. You you remind me of a a session I had not too long ago, trying to evaluate a child uh, who is probably on the autism spectrum and and he couldn't come in to the, uh, I work at a, a children's hospital two days a week and he couldn't come in. He didn't like being in that setting and had some bad experiences with physicians and things right. before. So his mom definitely wanted to do telehealth and we had to evaluate him. And so, um, you know, he, it was still kind of hard to get him to participate. And, and finally we just said, let's take a break and I said, totally, I said, you know, Johnny, go get your favorite toy. And yeah. this guy, I mean, he just he just lit up, you know, right? and he yes. went and got his favorite toy and he started talking and he started doing everything that I wanted. Uh, and so it kind of broke the ice. And then he got to tell me about other toys and this, you know, the, and so we'd do a little bit of assessment and then he'd tell us more <laughs> about his toys, you know, <laughs> and that was the way in, you know, and it, and uh, it was, we were able to get all the assessments done. It took us about twice as long to get it, right? but he stayed engaged the entire time. And we got lots of natural language samples from him because of him talking and got a really, I think, a better assessment. That's what I was going to say. You probably got more accurate results. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And so it was really turned out to be quite good. I, you know, uh, going into it, I thought, oh, this is going to be a real challenge to try to get this uh, young man to engage with us. But in the end, it was one of the best, best sessions we had. So that's so just finding that, that sort of, uh, that, that hook, to get you in, you know, and, and I think having the children talk about their favorite toys, talk about their favorite book or talk about, you know, you know, what they like to do at home and letting them show you. I think it's a great strategy for lots of things. It really was. And it even worked because then I had a student, a couple of students I was doing feeding therapy with. And I was like, mm. how am I going to do this? Mm-hmm. You know, it's hard enough sometimes when we're in the same room. Now we're separated by technology, you know, right. So, but again, it was, it was very similar in that, okay, show me your plate. Look at my plate. What's the difference? One's a square, one's a circle, different colors. And, you know, I made sure that I had all the same food items, but of course, you know, some shop organic, some don't, some shop, you know, different brands. So we, we were able to talk about it. And I noticed that, you know, even talking about it made some of my students feel like a little bit more calm and it kind of took mm-hmm. the, their mind off of the food because maybe, mm-hmm. I don't know why, I mean, I'm thinking maybe it's because my food wasn't right in front of them and it was just mm-hmm. their, you know, their ingredients, 
but it ended up working out better than expected. Um, Mm -hmm. I still prefer the in-person feeding sessions, but Mm -hmm. we got through it. There was progress. One of my students even graduated through telepractice for oh, feeding wow. therapy. That's great. So yeah, I mean, it, it ended up working really well. You know, made place settings. Um, mm-hmm. So you know, there's where there's a will, there's a way. I know it sounds very, very corny, but um, especially with screen time today and the iPads, mm-hmm. it was mm-hmm. you know a lot of the kids already know how to use the iPad, so mm-hmm. they were able to um, attend as much as they can. And then when we were, when giving them motivating tasks, they would attend even more. Um, one of my little guys really liked when I played a board game. (laughs) So we would have two pieces out, one for me, one for him. Mm -hmm. And he would be like, okay, you have to roll. You have to roll. And like telling me what to do. And I, you know, I would roll the colors and be like, you have to move this one. You have to move that one, three spaces, one space. And he, I didn't think he was going to like it. I think we did that like the entire summer. Like that was, <laughs> you know, we would work on our language goals. We'd have to answer a question or two and then take some turns in the board game. And he was in heaven. He loved it. <laughs> that's awesome. That's awesome. Yeah, that's a, a work with graduate students. And sometimes, you know, they spend a lot of time trying to come up with digital activities and things, which which is great. I, I want them to do that and have that experience. Yeah, but I say, you know, I'll say, just grab a, a, a game off the shelf and let's play in telepractice. And they're like, how am I going to do that? You know, and I said, just think about it. You know, how can you make that a language activity? You know, make it, you know, how can your child that you're working with tell you what to do and all this? And, and Exactly right. And, you know, it's really surprising to them that these kids love, I mean, pop the pig. You would never think that just sitting there putting those hamburgers in to see the pig pop eventually these kids love it i mean they love it right it's that startle factor of like Mm -hmm. oh whose turn is it gonna pop on we were doing snail's pace race Mm -hmm. i don't know if you're familiar with it there's six snails there's two die dice and you gotta roll them and figure out you know which one to move and right. sometimes we would do just one piece for me, one piece for him. One day I was like, oh, should we race them all? And he was like, mind blown. What are you talking <laughs> about, lady? Tell me more. Mm-hmm. I was like, we're just going to race them all. We're going to put them all on the board. And he, like, his face lit up. You would have thought it was like Christmas morning or some holiday, <laughs> you know, his right. birthday. And and I was like, wow, that just took, you know, because I was getting bored of it after a while. I'm like, how can I make this more fun for the both of us? Mm -hmm. You would have thought, you know, I gifted him all of Toys R Us. He was so happy. (laughs) And then that was what we did for a while. And then he's like, well, you know, I don't want this color. I want this color. So then he got to choose his colors and Mm -hmm. stuff. And it was, it was really cute. So introducing that idea, I'm like, you know what, this is unconventional. It's a little strange. Like I'm going to be playing a board game by myself, but Mm -hmm. it works. It works for turn-taking and language. Um, You know, with the colors, it got easier for him after a while. So then I would have to Mm -hmm. tell him to describe the color. So, you know, move the snail that's the same color as the sky. And that's what I would do Um, Mm -hmm. just to make it a little trickier. And then you get inferencing, you get describing, you get sentence expansion. Um, we, We were able to target so many goals. So, Telepractice in the beginning is intimidating, but mm-hmm. you got to use your imagination. <laughs> anything, right. I mean, even in in-person therapy, anything mm-hmm. can be used to talk. We talk all the time, you know? 
Right, right. Yeah. I, I want to sort of revisit your 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 feeding therapy, if you don't mind. Sure. Because um, I don't know if we've had that many people on the podcast that have talked about feeding therapy. All and right. so I'm yeah. sure I'm sure there will be lots of listeners who would love to hear even more uh, in terms of what you can describe how that flows. Uh, you can just have a generic, you know, situation and just talk about how you would do therapy over telepractice. Sure. So I am SOS uh, feeding trained, which stands mm-hmm. for the sequential oral sensory approach to feeding. I took that training back in 2017. And I use most of that, but also some of my own mm-hmm. <laughs> concoctions and kind of just gauging where the student is. Um, but the overall premise of it is that um, you we don't do feeding therapy during snack time or meal times. Actually, my expectations in my therapy sessions are that we're not going to eat. We want the students to be very comfortable And we're starting by building trust with the food. The end goal is definitely to eat the food. But in my sessions, we don't start with that goal. Um, We start by education. So, and you can do that at any age, you know, coloring a picture of the food items, um, talking about them. So let me, let me ask you something before you jump in. I don't mean to cut you off. So I know a lot of people are going to think feeding and they're going to automatically think swallowing. Right. And right. so let's let's back up and, and yeah. explain how what you're doing is different than swallowing. Right. Yes. Yeah. So the approach that I use is for either picky eaters or problem mm-hmm. eat feeders, which is what we call them. Um, you know, picky eaters might eat a food here and there. They might try it. They might spit it out and not eat it again. Whereas problem feeders will refuse a food. Some won't even be in the same room as a specific food item. Mm-hmm. Or they might only eat brand specific foods. Mm-hmm. Um, I had a little boy who ate some Samoas, samosas, but mm-hmm. would only eat the crust. He wouldn't eat the inside. But even still, he would only eat the crust of a samosa that had a specific stuffing, even though he didn't eat the stuffing, right? So that would be a problem, Peter. (laughs) Um, (laughs) We want to make sure our kids are getting enough nutrients. And I know with a lot of our students, a lot of our problem feeders, they might eat foods that are only beige in color. For example, a mac and cheese, a grilled Mm -hmm. cheese, chicken nuggets, um, rice, you know, those types of foods don't have a lot of nutrients in them. And even the chicken fingers, yeah, it's protein, but it's pretty processed. It's not like chicken. <laughs> right, right. Um, so, yes, those are the types of students I work with, although I am planning on getting some more oral motor training so I can work on the motoric aspect of it. Um, I will be doing that in 2022. But for now, the feeding that I work on, and thank you for pointing that out, is the um, picky eaters, problem feeders, sensory eating students Mm -hmm. or sensory avoiding students. Gotcha. Um, So, yeah. So we'll start with that education that I was saying. Mm -hmm. And education doesn't necessarily mean, you know, steak is good because it gives us protein. You know, it's (laughs) just like, what is it? Right. So, you know, if strawberry is our goal, it's red. Oh, it has a little bit of bumps on it. What else do we know that has bumps and kind of getting their brains working to make that food feel more familiar? Right. 
You want them to trust the food. Eventually, and when I say eventually, you know, some kids, it can take a couple of sessions. Some kids, it could take a couple of weeks, a couple of months. It just depends. Um, you know, eventually you move into bringing the food into the room, putting it on the table, but on a different plate or in a different area. Mm-hmm. And then get, getting them to play with it again, not with the expectation that they're going to eat it. Oh, it's a strawberry. It looks like a paintbrush to me. Paint your whole paper red. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, so that way they're engaging with it. They're interacting with it. And it's important that you know their comfort level because it's one of those where if you push too hard, it might be like one step forward, five steps back type of a thing. Right. So it's a very slow process, but it's very rewarding. Um, the goal is eventually, you know, you might turn your celery stick into a car and have it drive mm-hmm. up your arm and get it a little bit closer towards your face or <laughs> turn it into a toothbrush if they're at that level where they're accepting it, you know, into their mouth and brush your teeth with the celery. And, oh, did you know you got a little bit of celery juice in there? Do you like it? Should we spit it out? And making sure that they understand if there's something that makes you uncomfortable, there's an exit strategy. Um, With one of my boys, he was very um, sensory aversive to touch to certain textures. So we always had a dry napkin and a wet napkin next to him. If he didn't like how something felt, he used his tools, we called them, to wipe that feeling away or drink some water to wash it down. So you give them tools to trust the food and how to handle it if if they're feeling uncomfortable. So that way they understand that, you know, I don't have to do this. Um, eventually the goal is to do it, but we don't want to apply that pressure on them. So that's how I've been conducting my sessions. I follow it per child. Some, some students, you know, they want to know like, why am I eating this? And so I'll give them a little bit more of that education. Whereas other students just want to play with it. And I'm cool with that as long as they're feeling comfortable, um, and accepting the food and engaging with it. Over time, it would get introduced during mealtimes, but that's not the goal. And I make sure that either it's like right after a mealtime or after a time where they're definitely, you know, they might not be hungry so that they don't feel as though this is their mealtime. Right. Yeah. And so you mentioned the, the one child that that graduated from. Yes. <clears throat> so how 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 do does a, a child reach that point? I mean. I know it's going to be different for different children, I'm sure. But just as an example, how did you know that that child was ready to graduate? Sure. So he got to the point where he was just eating um, everything we we brought to the session. Um, their the parents' goals they like to eat out a lot, so their goal was we want to go to a restaurant and have him pick something off the menu instead of bringing food from home, calling the restaurant, seeing if it's okay. And he got to the point where he knew if he didn't like something, he was comfortable to spit it out and order something else. Um, he, he tried everything with me. I mean, he even made some concoctions where I was like, Oh, you're going to eat that. <laughs> but he's like, I'm going to try it, Ari. And if I don't like it, I can just spit it out. I was like, that's right. <laughs> Very true. Yeah. And so he would mix just, Oh my gosh, I can't even tell you like different mm. um, condiments together with like just whatever was in front of him. He would go in the fridge and take stuff out. So okay. he was at the point where he felt comfortable. His parents felt like he was eating um, more nutrients. 
And it became a discussion with the parents where I said, you know, are there any other goals that you would like him to work on? He's finished my goals. He ate Mm -hmm. several items from all different food groups and combinations because initially he would eat, again, the the white, the beige foods um, separately. The only dip that he would use was cream cheese. Um, yeah, so he would dip like his fish sticks in cream cheese, his chicken nuggets in cream cheese and cream cheese on a bagel. That was it. That was it. Mm. Um, and then, I mean, he started, he chicken cutlet Parmesan was his favorite meal with, with pasta, with spaghetti. Um, that sounds good. (laughs) He loved burgers, cheeseburgers, hamburgers, putting anything he could find on his burger. And it got to the point where he felt comfortable experimenting himself. And when they went out to dinner or when they cooked at home, he, he didn't say no anymore. Hmm. So they're like, okay, I guess we don't need you. <laughs> Bye. <laughs> and I was like, great, that's, that's the goal. The goal is that they're, you know, we, as adults, there's foods I don't like, you know, I'm not expecting them to like every single thing, but we want them to at least be able to experiment with foods that might be new to them um, and be comfortable with that process and be able to tolerate, you know, if I don't like it, I'm not just going to like spit it out in front of everyone. I might spit it out in my napkin or something like that. So he was able to do all of that stuff. And, you know, we kept in touch. I made sure I checked in with them for a couple months after that. You know, do you have any questions? I always say, like, once I'm your therapist, I'm your therapist for life. So <laughs> call me if you need anything. I would text them to check in, and they're like, he's eating everything. I have no complaints. So that's great. That was, yeah. That's a real success case. I'm proud of that kiddo. He, he yeah. worked hard. He worked really, really hard. And, you know, I always try to uplift him, tell him that I'm proud of you. And then I was like, but it doesn't matter how I feel. How do you feel? Do you feel proud of yourself? And he's like, yeah, I am. That was hard. It's like, good, good for you. You should feel proud of yourself. So, so yeah. How, how did you get interested in the, in the feeding aspect? That's really um, interesting. My, the old job that I used to work for, for a school, they were kind enough to send me there. Um, they sent me to get that SOS training. Mm-hmm. And at first I thought, you know what? Like, I don't know. It's not for me. I like that immediate gratification. And this right. is, like I said, it's a long and slow process, mm-hmm. but the more I got into it, I just, it's fun. Like it's so much fun. You get to play with the food. It's like I said, very low pressure environment. So mm-hmm. the, the kids are, the end goal is for them to have fun that day. So, you know, you have to get very creative, which I like doing. It's messy. You know, mm-hmm. it was, it was, I enjoyed it. It was a good time. And so then I started posting about it um, and people were asking me questions and that's now what most of my private clients are asking <laughs> me for. And I was like, this right. is great. I didn't going into or studying to become a speech pathologist. This wasn't the route that I thought I was going to take. Right. But I love it, and I'm happy that this is where I am. <laughs> yeah, it's it, it it is something that I think most people don't think about. Right. Uh, I mean, they are thinking more of the swallowing, you know, doing right. swallow studies and all that stuff. The chewing, uh, the biting, all of that. Right. Yeah. Right. Uh, and so they're not always thinking about just the food sensitivity kinds of issues. Exactly right. Yeah. And I I can't wait till I get my oral motor training. So that way I can use them both together in therapies and evaluations. I'm so excited. (laughs) Yeah. 
That's great. That's great. So is that where you want to go next in terms of just adding more of that to your to your skill sets and, and doing that through telepractice as well? Yeah. So I, I would like to, um, my primary, I guess, job, <laughs> since I have so many of them, mm-hmm. my primary area that I work on is evaluations. I do evaluations mm-hmm. for students, but I'm not the type where I would want to only do evaluations just because I feel like you need that therapy just to keep you mm-hmm. grounded. Mm-hmm. Um, and also to, to help others. That's what I came to this field to do. So, um, I, I think I'll always be a mix of everything, like all ages, because I just mm-hmm. enjoy it all too much. I like working with my babies. I like working with my high schoolers. Um, but I will be focusing a lot on that training. And um, because I do have a bunch, I'm actually doing a feeding group in Long Island. Uh, it's nice. once a month, every Monday. And so I want to implement that in there because parents come and they're like, you know, feeding therapy is not something that's common, especially for picky eaters. Like you said, most people Mm -hmm. you get feeding therapy and you're thinking like muscular weakness or, you know, difficulty with bolus manipulation, with Mm -hmm. manipulating the Mm -hmm. food in the mouth. Um, and so they're like, there's not too many places. Like there's definitely some we're not, we're, but it's few and far between. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. So, um, so yeah, that's one of the areas I really want to focus on moving forward. And um, I'll be probably doing them mostly through in person. But if I get someone that's teletherapy, I'm happy to do it, especially now that I've done it. And I know <laughs> I'm very, very comfortable doing it. And I, I like the teletherapy too. It's just a different platform, you know? Right, right. It's great. I, I, I think going forward, I think as clinicians, we, we need to be able to do both. Right. I completely agree. You know, because that's that's just where the field is moving. That's where healthcare is moving. And and I work with, you know, at university. And so uh, that's what I'm telling my grad students now. I said, you, you need to be able to move seamlessly between in-person telepractice and then hybrid kinds of things. Right. Exactly. And, and, right. and know how to do that. And so they're like, yeah, yeah, you're old and you don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> so that's you what, what you're talking about. <laughs> So, but no, I, many of them are, you know, because they've experienced COVID and most of their, um, most of their practicum sites have had, you know, switched to telepractice and they've had to sort of be thrown into it up, up to their ears. Uh, They, they kind of get it now, but, uh, but yeah, I think going forward, it's just going to be more and more and uh, it's exciting what you're doing. Thank you. Yeah, no, it's, I mean, I enjoy it a lot. I was excited about it at first mostly for like selfish reasons, <laughs> like, oh, I don't have to look for parking in Manhattan now. <laughs> and once we got started and I was nervous, you know, it, you, it's something new. You're always going to be nervous when you try something new. Um, it's in front of the parents. So I know, you know, mm-hmm. speaking with my colleagues, like a lot of us had stage fright, <laughs> right, right. but it's, it's a learning curve. And now, you know, after you get used to it, it's like, you've been doing it your whole life. Mm -hmm. And the best part about it too, is you can still use conventional methods that you used in your speech room. Let's say Mm -hmm. like I have those Mm -hmm. flashcards that I was using with them. We have the board games. Um, Mm -hmm. There were times where I either emailed or snail mailed packets to parents. And I would say, okay, go to page three today. Mm -hmm. So it's great because you get that you, you get the conventional consistency that you're used to while also now using new tools, like the boom cards, like, Um, one of my favorites, especially for my older kids was all the Google Chrome extensions. 
Mm -hmm. Um, particularly when we were doing like reading comprehension, like the read and write and snap and read and all that stuff. And I would give them Mm -hmm. control of my screen Yeah, and they would be able to complete their whole assignment, you know, using our strategies together and also those tools. Mm -hmm. So, cause I also do assistive technology evaluation. So I'm in with the AT stuff too. I'm telling you, I dabble in all the things. I was going to say, you, you have many, many, many hats that you're wearing. I do, here. I do. That's how I've been my whole life. I like to know everything about everything. <laughs> <laughs> so I try to trial it out, try everything once. And if you like it, do it twice. There so. you go. Well, Ari, I think it's time for our moment of Zen. Remember I said we're going to play a little game? Oh, yeah. And so this is our moment of Zen to get to know you even better. Mm-hmm. And so this is based on the Proust questionnaire, which is, uh, I don't know if you ever you ever saw the uh, the show Inside the Actor's Studio. I, ha- I heard of it, but I haven't actually watched it. So it's not on anymore, but it used to be where the host, James Lipton, would ask these actors at the end of the interview, you know, he would ask them these set questions every time. It was always the same questions. (laughs) And so over the years, you had all these different actors answering the exact same questions. So it was based on Proust, who was the playwright. And and so we've adapted that kind of model. So we have some questions we just want to ask you, and you can answer... You can answer with one word or as many, as long, you could have an answer as long as you want or as short as you want, basically. Okay, you ready? Good, yeah. So what is the most used app on your phone? Oh gosh, Instagram. (laughs) How did I know? Um, What was the last TV series you streamed? Oh, probably my favorite. it was either Friends or Schitt's Creek. It might actually have been Schitt's oh, Creek. Awesome. Because I got my mom to watch it. So I've been watching it with her. I think that's the most recent one. Great show. I love it. Amazing. Amazing. I loved it. I loved They're it. both tied. I don't know which one I like more. <laughs> I, I agree. I agree. Two good ones. Uh, what's a favorite book? Oh, that's a good one. Uh, oh, like a storybook? Or I like to read like information. So there's this book by Dr. Mark Hyman, and it's called Mm -hmm. Food, What the, I don't know if I'm allowed to say this word, What the Heck Should I Eat? Yes. And so uh, I really like that one. I refer to it a lot. I have a lot of food sensitivities. um, Mm -hmm. And I also actually like to refer to it when I'm doing my feeding sessions, too, to find nutrient foods. So that's probably one of my favorite, like, info books. (laughs) Right. Excellent. Excellent. Uh, so now we're going to go a little deeper, okay? okay? If you could create one law or behavior that everyone had to do, what would it be? These are hard. <laughs> one law or behavior. Mm-hmm. Everyone has to dance for 15 minutes a day. <laughs> oh, I love it. I love it. That's great. I'm a big dancer. Get that energy out. <laughs> oh, that is great. Make the world a lot happier if everyone danced for 15 I minutes hope, a day. Though, I hope it would lift the spirits, especially there, nowadays. Yeah, for sure. Um, who would you like to have dinner with, dead or alive? Ooh. I'm going to get deep. I would like both my grandfathers have passed away. So I would like to have dinner with both of them if possible. (laughs) That's great. That's great. That's awesome. Um, 
where is the most exotic place you've been or the farthest place you've been? I am a big traveler. So for my honeymoon, we did Madagascar and Seychelles. Oh, my goodness. Yep. They're both amazing. Highly recommend if you can. <laughs> Great. Great. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Definitely on the Greece. bucket list. I go to Greece every other summer, so Greece was, is the one. <laughs> I was going to say we can't say Greece. Uh, I, I, was, I was like, maybe I shouldn't, but I have to throw it out there. I got love for the motherland. <laughs> yes, yes. I've not been, and I, it's definitely one of the places I want to go. Oh, if you go, let we have family there, and you know, homes there, so we go all the time. So okay. if you ever go, let me know. I'll let you I'll know the spots. <laughs> I, I'll hit you up. Don't worry. <laughs> um, What's the scariest thing you've ever done? And you can define scary in any way you want. I don't have too many fears, but what I think is other people think is scary that I've done is I've gone skydiving. I've climbed frozen waterfalls. I've uh, flown an airplane. Wow. Yeah, I've done a bunch of uh, activities. (laughs) (laughs) You're quite the adventurer. -er -er. Maybe That's that great. should be my law. Everyone should go on an adventure. <laughs> there you go. There you yeah. go. That's pretty cool. Um, what is a pet peeve of yours? Oh, gosh. Um, probably when people like suck their teeth that like. <laughs> that could... of, of course, the feeding person is going right. to say that. <laughs> not, not when it's during eating, though. When people mm-hmm. are eating, it doesn't bother me, but when we're just like sitting there. <laughs> and they just start like, clearing stuff out of their teeth. Yeah. Like that, like, huh? oh, you go, go to the bathroom and take care of that. <laughs> <Over there. laughs> gotcha. Um, if you could choose one profession other than your current one, what would it be? Crime investigator. <laughs> CSI, I, I want to be on the scene. All mm. <laughs> Doing, seeing all the gory stuff and then figuring out who, who did it. All of it. The day of my sweet 16, I went into school to see the Miracle of Life video. Mom's like, it's optional. You don't have to go. I'm like, nope, I need oh. to see it all. I want to know what happened. <laughs> so all of it. I want to be there on the scene, collecting evidence. That's my, that would be it. Wow. Wow. You, you, I, I, I don't know if I can handle all that, but that's good. That's good. Last question. If heaven exists, what would you like to hear God say when you arrive at the pearly gates? You get to keep all of these puppy spirits. <laughs> all of the puppies are yours now. <laughs> uh, that's welcome. original. Welcome would be nice too. <laughs> that would be welcome. That, that's good. That's good. Not in, take, come on in. Here's these puppies. <laughs> right. Not take these puppies and leave. <laughs> you can you can <laughs> no, stay. I want to leave. I want to stay. <laughs> that's right. That's right. Well, it's it's been great having you on, and I just really appreciate you taking a chance. And when I uh, reached out, and and it's been wonderful talking to you and and learning more about what you're doing and. Thank how can you. how can people get in touch if they want to ask more questions? Sure. Well, thank you firstly for having me. I was so excited. I saw that email. I was like, me, who me? <laughs> <laughs> um, people can get in touch with me through my Instagram. It's at legendary.slp. So it's 
legend, L-E-G-E-N-D, and then Eri, my name, E-R-I, dot S-L-P. Um, you can also email me at legendary.slp at gmail.com. Um, and I'm pretty responsive. You'll get an answer within, I mean, you know, you'll get an answer mm-hmm. within minutes if I'm busy, at, you know, maybe an hour or two tops. <laughs> sure. Well, thank you again and best of luck with everything. Not a problem. Thank you. Well, that was Ari Theotokos. We really appreciate her being with us and explaining even more about feeding sensitivity and what she's doing with telepractice. Uh, So thank you, Ari, for sharing your insights and tips, and we all appreciate it. And we appreciate you joining us on the podcast. Please leave us a five-star review. That helps us to attract some new subscribers and to reach more people. So that's always very helpful. As well, please reach out to me at Todd at 3C Digital Media Network if you would like to work with our company, 3C Digital Media Network. So we are looking for people to do some webinars and courses, and maybe even you would like to do your own podcast. Well, reach out to me, Todd at 3C Digital Media Network. Dot com, and I will be in touch. And with that, we'll see you again next week. Until then, be safe and be kind. This has been a production of the 3C Digital Media Network.